Hey, what's up, everyone? You are on the Eden Podcast, and we are so glad that you're here. I hope that the next 30 minutes will help you to become the person that God always dreamed you could be. Let's get started. Hey, what's up, Eden Church? It's really, really good to be here with you today. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden, and our church is all about helping people take a next step with Jesus. If you're with us for the very first time, I want you to know that we are especially grateful that you're a part of the conversation today, and our heart really is to begin seeing more of God in our everyday lives. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been in a series called God Is, and the purpose of this series has been all about helping us to rethink some of what we think about God. Someone once said that what we think about God is the most important thought we have because what we think about him shapes how and why we do everything else in life. Now the problem is is that sometimes what we think about God limits how we relate to him. Now I wonder what comes to mind when you think about anger. I don't know about you but a lot of my regret in life has to do with the moments of anger in my life. Some of you might not know this, but in high school, I actually had to go to anger management classes. Uh, it was kind of a joke, a bunch of unruly teenagers not listening, and the instructor just got angry at all of us. Now, the truth is that anger is part of my family heritage. My dad had anger issues. My grandfather had anger issues. My brothers have anger issues. My uncles have tempers. Anger is a thing in my family. And so when people talk about anger, there is like this visceral reaction that happens inside of me. All sorts of like intense images begin to pop into my head. And all of my memories of anger in my family seem to be like harmful, unhealthy images, and destructive patterns of anger. Now, I don't like seeing people get angry. I don't like getting angry myself. Most of the time, it's like this really uncomfortable emotion for me. And I wonder for you, what comes to mind when you think about anger? Do you think about like the uncontrolled anger that your parents displayed while they were disciplining you? Or maybe the anger that you felt toward a spouse in moments of frustration. Or maybe you have seen the way that your children have learned to manifest their own anger by throwing themselves on the floor in a grocery store. Or even the painful side effects of anger in your life. I know that all of us probably think about that word differently. But today, hopefully, we're going to re-understand or relearn what anger is to God. And as we learn about his anger, my hope is that it gives us an angle on our own anger. So we're going to look in the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to look at the foundational passage that we've been looking at every week for this series, which happens to be the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible, because at the time that it was written, it was the most accurate description of God that the people of Israel had. And so we find it in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6. It says, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger. The next thing that we learn about God in this series is that he is slow to anger. In Hebrew, it's the, ra- the phrase, erek apayim. And the phrase literally means long of nostrils. I think that this is really actually a pretty cool description because it describes what happens physiologically when you get angry. When you give in to anger, oftentimes like you start to get hot, your chest sucks in, your face gets red, nostrils flare, and then you lose control. But if you're slow to anger, you respond a little bit differently. You close your mouth, 
You purse your lips together. You take a deep breath in through your nose. You are erek apayim. You're long nostriling, right? You're slow to anger. This phrase is actually used a few other times in wisdom literature. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says, Whoever is erek apayim, whoever slow to anger, has great understanding. But whoever is quick-tempered displays folly. This tells us a few things. First, the opposite of being slow to anger is being quick-tempered. And being quick to anger is a sign of a fool, is what this passage is telling us. Because oftentimes we'll notice that quick-tempered people get into a lot of trouble. They have a lot of regret in their life about their actions and their words. And one of the things that it reveals to us is that it is someone that has not developed the maturity to control their emotions. We can all probably think of someone that we know that is quick-tempered. We can all probably think of times in our lives when we responded too quickly in anger and regretted it. I remember an email that I sent out years ago in response to a critique of someone on our team. And the email was a little sarcastic. It was probably too direct. It was definitely not filled with a lot of love. And I remember pressing send without thinking about it. And almost immediately I regretted sending that email. I'm not sure that what I said was wrong, but I could have definitely said it with a different tone. The second thing that this passage tells us is that being slow to anger doesn't mean that you don't get angry. In other words, as this applies to God, God can get mad. It's just not easy to do. In college, I had two coaches. And for most of my career, my head coach was always on the verge of cussing us out or yelling at us. He was just angry. And we all kind of got used to that. But our assistant coach was a really level-headed person. He hardly ever yelled or ever got frustrated. But when he did, you knew that you had crossed the line because he was hard to make mad. That's God's character. He's slow to anger. He's not brash in his anger. He's not uncalculated or belligerent or out of control. When he shows his anger, it is always intentional, it's always on purpose, and it's always deliberate. I wonder if you have ever thought about the difference between a wildfire and a fireplace. Wildfires rage, they destroy everything in its past, and if you're in Silicon Valley, you all have probably witnessed the destruction of several horrible wildfires, wildfires this past year. We had two of the th uh, three largest wildfires in California history over the past 12 months. They destroyed homes, campsites, many people's livelihoods, and some even lost their lives. Uncontrolled fires always destroy good things. But a fireplace is a container for a fire. The boundaries allow for it to serve a purpose. It keeps the house warm. It can cook food. It brightens up a dark room. It can set the mood for a meaningful light. Night. And when it stays within the boundaries, it stays in control. It doesn't destroy good things. It only produces good things. That's the difference between our anger and God's anger. God's anger never destroys good. It only produces good. I love this other translation of Exodus chapter 34. It says, God is patient, the one who makes anger distant and brings compassion near. I'm not sure what your picture of God is, but you need to know that God is not waiting in the shadows of your life to unleash his anger on you. I think there are probably some of us who have grown up with an image of an angry God. Back in the day, 
One of the defining sermons during the colonial days of, the early, of early America was a message that was preached by a Puritan pastor named Jonathan Edwards. And the title of the sermon was, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Like literally that title alone would get you 100,000 views on YouTube if there was YouTube back in the day. But regardless, the message shaped the way that a whole generation of people related to and thought about God. There was this picture of an angry God ready to just spill out and unleash his anger on a disobedient people. And so the people, they became so focused in fear of God's anger, they tried to do everything right because they thought that if they messed up, they were going to unleash God's wrath on their life, which is why they were eventually known as the Puritans. Can you imagine how this could goof up how you related to God? But what I love about this passage and this description of God from himself is that he tells his people he is slow to anger. Now it implies that God is really patient, but it also implies that God actually does get angry. I realize that this is probably not the funnest aspect to talk about when it comes to the nature or the personality of God. But I think part of that is because somewhere along the way, we attach the way that we felt when our dad or our husband or our mother or our wife or some stranger on the street or some surfer out at Pleasure Point displayed their uncontrolled anger toward you. And, if we, and we think that if God is anything like that, we don't want anything to do with God. But what if God never got angry about anything? What do you think that that would say about God? Think about every time you hear about a child sold into prostitution by her family, or when you hear about an unjust murder in our community, or every time you read about genocide happening in a developing country, or the suffering of a friend, you probably think to yourself, this isn't how it's supposed to be. What if this stuff didn't make God angry? What would that say about him? This is why I actually love the fact that we serve a God who gets angry. This is not the world that God intended. The suffering and the pain and the heartache and the corruption and the deception and the division that you see is not God's will. And when you feel angry about injustice and evil, those are the same things that God gets angry about. There are times when the healthiest, most emotionally mature response against evil is anger. And to admit that God gets angry isn't a mark against his character. It actually builds up his credibility. To me, it wouldn't make sense that God would be passively accepting of all the injustice happening in our world. In fact, I love that we serve a God who is passionate about making wrong things right. I love that God is angry when people are suffering and injustice is taking place. It's really interesting that a lot of people push back against the idea that God gets angry because what they've done is they have subconsciously replaced it with this narrative that God never gets angry. And it seems like somewhere in our minds, we've come to the conclusion that anger is in opposition to love, but it's not. I love what Elie Wiesel, who had survived the Jewish concentration camps during World War II said, he was also a Nobel Peace Prize winner. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. It's not anger, it's apathy. God's love is not indifferent to your pain because his love is like the love of a parent protecting their child or a spouse protecting their husband or their wife. It's the love that leads to righteous, healthy, 
and holy anger sometimes. When it's from God, it's always patient, it's always slow coming, and most importantly, it's that it's always full of hope because God's anger is full of the vision that he has for your future. He sees who you're becoming, he knows where you're going, and he is willing to do whatever it takes to help you get there. A picture of God's anger is really a picture of his love for us. Because what we see every time God gets angry is that it always produces good. It is a higher order of love when God displays it. I wonder if you have someone in your life who loves you enough to tell you what you need to hear, even if it's not what you want to hear. I remember having one of those kind of conversations when I was in high school. My wrestling coach took me out to the football field and he was so angry at me. I mean, he said things that I can't repeat, but Basically, he said, you're acting like an idiot. You are making really bad decisions outside of the wrestling room. And if you don't change, you have no place on this team. And I prefer that you just get out of here because you're giving us a bad reputation. And I remember how shocked I was by the amount of anger that he was displaying in this conversation. But I also remember that that conversation was the beginning of a new path for me. And when I look back on that moment... He wasn't angry at me because he hated me. He was angry because he loved me. He saw what I was becoming and it made him angry to see that, he was give, that I was giving up this vision for my life that he knew could be better. His anger produced good. And whenever we think about God's anger, we have to know that it always produces good. That is the angle, righteous Anger is good anger. And I guess the question for us today is to reflect on our own lives. Like how do we come at anger? What happens to us when we get angry? What does our anger produce in this life? I wonder if this is a good week for you to begin to assess the way that your anger manifests itself in your life. Is it brash? Is it impatient? Is it unkind? Is it snarky or sarcastic? Is it vengeful? Is it born out of fear and insecurity? I would imagine that most of us, if we're being honest, would probably admit that there are times where we are quicker to anger, quicker to fire back, quicker to lash out than we want to be. And I want to challenge you this week to get some long nostrils. And when you feel the urge to act on your anger instead of sending that quick text message or unleashing a verbal lashing, to take a deep breath in your nose and out of your mouth. And to keep doing that as long as the manic, frustrating energy is still there. Let's work this week on being slow to anger in our lives. And one thing I want to encourage you is to not think that you're going to make the right decision in the moment of anger. And so what I want to encourage you before you ever get there this week is to allow for your prayers to be directed toward how you will respond, not if, but when you get angry this week. Would we ask God right now before we ever get into that moment to make sure that he would be in that moment with us? Would we be willing to say, God, give me the patience in a moment of anger instead of responding, but to check my heart first, to filter that first response and to help me determine whether or not it's going to produce good or it's going to destroy good in my life. For some of you, 
I think the gap between you and God isn't necessarily your anger. It could be your greed, could be gluttony, gossip, porn, worry, anxiety, fear. Most of us recognize that we all have a gap somewhere in our lives. The gap or the habit or the harmful thinking is the distance between who we are and who God is. Between the way that we live our lives and the way that Jesus lived his life. And following Jesus is all about closing that gap. One step, one decision, one moment at a time. And God tells us that the journey actually begins when we trust in his plan for our life more than we trust in our own. It begins when we surrender the vision to a God who loves us more than we can imagine. But he showed a glimpse of that love by sacrificing his life to bear the weight of our sin because he knew that we couldn't handle it ourselves. And I know that today we talked about an angry God and you might wonder, what does that have to do with the God who sacrificed so much for us? But it has everything to do with it because God hates our sin, not because it's helping us to have a better life, but because it's destroying our life and God loves us that much. And that is the same God who has loved you from the very beginning, who longs to be in a relationship with you. And this morning, if you have never had an opportunity to begin that relationship, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's just a simple prayer. We are always only just one prayer away from re-engaging in that relationship with God. And so if that's where you're at today, I want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me in your heart. And you can do that wherever you are by simply bowing your head and closing your eyes and repeating after me. Dear God, I want to thank you for loving me even when I didn't love you. Today, God, I recognize how much my sin and the selfish decisions that I've made are actually hurting and destroying me from the inside out. Today, I want to receive the gift of a relationship with your son. I trust that you can do more with my life than I can. And God, I believe that you loved me enough to send your son to sacrifice his life on my behalf. God, thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for your righteousness, your goodness. God, would you give me the strength to follow you in the days to come? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.